Hello, and welcome to Love in the Time of Everyone, a podcast where we talk about the way relationships have changed over the past few generations, from who we love, to how we think about love, to what we choose to do with love once we've found it. I'm your host, Emily Diekman. We're going to begin this week's episode by talking about an ending. The ending happened for a woman named Jay. Jay, by the way, is a pseudonym. She and all of the other guests on today's episode will be using them. I knew Jay back in high school. She started dating this guy when she was 19, and they were that couple that made people say, oh my god, they're perfect. I remember her telling me once, oh yeah, when you know, you know. So yeah, Jay and this guy get married, it's beautiful, everything's beautiful. Then, about 10 years later, it falls apart. We had just grown apart. We just weren't very, we weren't good partners for each other, and... So that was quite a journey of, of figuring out what I wanted out of my life. And if I was willing to, as much as I loved him still, it, it, it would have been settling for both of us because there were so many old hurts that I don't think could have ever been resolved. So we, we split up two years ago. I rebounded into an extremely toxic relationship. It was a, an emotionally abusive uh, possessive, controlling, extremely jealous. Um, and we were together six months. Um, and then when I broke up with him, a good friend of mine was like, Hey, you know what you should look into is polyamory because a lot of what your problems are, are with communication and boundaries. And, and since you were in this long-term relationship from early adulthood um, that had, did not have healthy communication. We never talked deeply about anything and communicated anything important. I never learned those habits that, that are so key to any adult relationship, whether it be romantic, sexual, gay, straight, poly, monogamous. I just never learned normal relationship communication. So she was like, those are, those are cornerstones. Like they're important in every relationship, but they're even more so in polyamorous relationships for them to be healthy. Polyamory is broadly defined as the practice of having multiple emotionally close relationships that may or may not be sexual. I never really thought about it, but it seems obvious now. When you're dating more than one person and you want to be ethical about it, you have to be really good at communicating. Still, what a fascinating recommendation to get from a friend, right? I think the advice to practice good communication with your partner is quite common. I've gotten it. I've given it. But this advice kind of reminds me of when you throw your kid in the pool to teach them how to swim. If you put yourself in a situation where you have to learn a new skill, whether it's communication or swimming, maybe you're more likely to learn it. And anyway, polyamory is not as uncommon as I thought it was. Polyamory is a subcategory of consensual non-monogamous relationships, which also includes practices like swinging or open relationships. A 2017 study in the Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy found that just over 21% of people in the U.S. have been in a consensual non-monogamous relationship at some point. So Jay is sort of open to the idea. And then the stars align, and this guy, D, texts her. At first, she's not sure if D is flirting with her because D has a wife named A. Jay knows A, but D explains that A is 100% fine with him going out with other women because they're in a polyamorous relationship. 
a key part that I thought was really cool was that he started a three-way chat on Facebook Messenger between us. So there was no, there's a toxic side to polyamory, just like there is in any mm-hmm. relationship world where one person will be like, oh yes, we're fine. My partner's fine with it. We're polyamorous. You just can't talk to them about it. So we've got A and D who are married and J who's about to go on a date with D. Are you ready for level two? A, that's D's wife, is also dating two other people. They're a married couple. M, who is a man, and C, who is non-binary. A quick note about C. C prefers non-binary pronouns like they and them, but also sometimes uses feminine pronouns like she and her. So they sometimes refer to themselves as A's girlfriend. One more time here. So there are two married couples, C and M, who are both dating A, and then there's A and D, the other married couple. D is the one who's taking J on a date. Let's just focus on that part for now. J's like, okay, yeah, sure. My friend and I were actually just talking about polyamory, and D seems cool, so why not? D starts a conversation between all three of us, just so that we're all like, hey, we're all on the same page, everything's groovy, yada yada. And I make my, I start the first step in my boundaries journey and make my, um, I'm, I'm looking for a casual, like that sounds great, but I just got out of this really harmful thing. And after the first, after our first date, I was like, ah, shit. Jay was like, ah, shit. Because she had serious feelings for this guy, and she was not planning to get back into a serious relationship. Not to mention that this particular guy came with a wife, and his wife came with a boyfriend and a non-binary partner. But it's turned out to be the healthiest relationship Jay says she's ever had. A little backstory on their first date. Jay and Dee are both performers, and they both had gigs that night, so the plan was for Dee to pick Jay up after they were both done. But then Jay got in a car accident. Long story short, instead of canceling the date, Dee ended up picking Jay up from the hospital. He was good enough to come and literally pick me up, not from the hospital. My mom, uh, my mom had come down um, and took me back to where the gig was. And obviously I was fine, just like uh, neck sprain and shoulder issues and stuff. Um, and he came and picked me up from the gig site. And I was like, oh, he, he a good guy. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's, that's how my journey into polyamory started. And I realized very shortly that I was head over heels in love with this man. And it took about two months for us to actually sit down and have, uh, what, what our group calls a a DTR, a define the relationship conversation where we decided to actually, you know, use, use the titles of boyfriend and girlfriend rather than, you know, just casual dating. And, um, and we've been together, uh, about a year and a half now. So then there were five. We've talked about D, A, and J a little bit, so let's move over now and talk about the other married couple, C and M. They've been together for 10 years, and things had always been great and monogamous. Kind of like Jay and her ex-husband from the beginning of our story, they were always the type of couple that made other people say, I wish I had a relationship like yours. Unlike Jay and her husband from the beginning of our story, their relationship is actually still like that. But anyway, a couple of years ago, while they were temporarily living outside of California, 
which is where everyone in this story lives now. They went home for a visit, and they ended up at this party where A was. They'd known her for a while, but for some reason, on this night, they were both just like, whoa, she's really cool and beautiful. And they both kind of started flirting with her. And C and I, we, we were like, okay, we're, we're very solid with each other. But I had known since like we had met that C was bisexual. And she had not been in a relationship with a woman in a really, really long time. And I asked if that was something she was interested in exploring because I was comfortable with the idea of us seeing people that weren't necessarily each other. So when we went to visit that that time here in California, we were like, wow, she's always been amazing. We've known her forever. It's it's incredible. And we kind of started flirting and sparks flew. So that that was more of, of our experience. She was our first partner outside of the monogamous bounds of marriage. So, yeah, everyone talked and C and M both started dating A who was already with D. Later on, Jay joined the crew, and it, it works for them super well. Jay had this neat way of explaining their dynamic. We like to use the metaphor of love isn't a pie for that, for that kind of feeling. For some people, love is a pie. The more you give away, the less you have. So one partner gets all of your love because that's what you have. For polyamorous people, Love isn't a pie. You have so much freaking love that you can you can love other people and still love your partner fully. Exactly. Uh, like, which of your parents do you love? Like, yeah. well, I love both of them. That's not possible. Like, what's your but, favorite fruit? Uh, My favorite fruit's a strawberry. You can only eat strawberries for the rest of your life. Well, if it's your third <laughs> child, you can't love them as much as your first child, right? Yeah. We're going to have to so, let one of you go. You know, for some people, love is a pie. For some people, love is like fire. The more you have, the more it grows. No matter what you do, it's fine. Just, you know, don't be a dick about it. I get this, in theory. One person just can't meet all of your needs. The author, Kurt Vonnegut, has this really great bit about this in one of his books. He talks about how he thinks the reason the divorce rate is rising is because big, extended families are less common. Quote, When a couple has an argument, they may think it's about money, or power, or sex, or how to raise the kids, or whatever. What they're really saying to each other, though, without realizing it, is this. You are not enough people. End quote. Yeah, maybe accepting that one person can't be everything is the key to happiness or something. But, oh my god, I just think I'd be so jealous. Isn't it hard? Apparently, yeah, totally. They're really candid about that. Here's M. One of the things we like to say is that polyamory is relationships on hard mode. Mm -hmm. It is when, when you are with somebody and all the joys and trials and tribulations, all of the boundaries and difficulties, multiply that by two. Like there's no cheat code to get around it. You're still dealing with two completely separate people and all their foibles, all of their issues. And you're going to call someone the wrong name. It's gonna happen. It's gonna be while you're drunk. It's gonna be while you're drunk. No, it's gonna be while you're sober as well. It's gonna happen. So there, when you're dealing with polyamorous relationships, those are very new things to deal with is the difference in boundaries, the difference in interests and things like that. So it's not for the faint of heart. It's definitely a hard mode situation. It is 
wildly not for everybody. Yeah, because if hard. people tell you that it's a life without jealousy, they're <laughs> wrong. They're lying. They're wildly wrong. <laughs> and and it's just in a polyamorous relationship, what we see jealousy as is a warning sign of internal trauma, of external neglect, of all of these different factors, which leads you to feel like either not enough or like you're not being prioritized. And these are things you should act on, not something that is something to be feared or shunned or shut down. It's a warning light. It's it, it's not a, you know, slamming on the brakes. Yeah, you don't just ignore it. If you feel if you're feeling jealousy, it's usually coming from a place of insecurity. And that means that you need to talk to one of your partners and say, hey, I'm noticing that I'm not getting this need met. Can we please talk about how that can happen? Yeah. And let's be clear. No one is perfect at that. Oh, no. Probably not. We all have our various childhood traumas, our various communication hang-ups, et cetera, that we have to continually walk each other through and remind each other, hey, you got to communicate and make sure that everyone knows that they're in a safe place to do so. Jay talks about how after being in that toxic relationship, she's now in this situation where she has to learn communication skills. Kind of like the whole getting thrown into a swimming pool situation. Finding a partner that is willing to have these conversations and in polyamory, like we've said, communication is so important that you become conditioned to have these conversations and you face jealousy, you look at it, you grab it by its ugly horns and you say, where are you coming from? And you you do some self-reflection and figure out and you can actually start healing that trauma and healing those problems. And, and when jealousy comes up now, a year and a half later, I'm much more equipped to look at it and go, yeah, that's, that's insecurity and, and fear that he's going to leave me. But we have talked about this so many times that I know he loves me. I am confident in our relationship. And I, I'm less scared of it now. It's a less scary monster. I want to emphasize here that, at least in this polycule, that's what you call a connected network of people in non-monogamous relationships, by the way. At least in this polycule, everyone agrees that they get jealous sometimes. Research on this subject tends to show that men are more jealous when it comes to sexual infidelity, and women are more jealous when it comes to emotional infidelity. But... Everyone here is pretty open that they get jealous about all sorts of things. For example, here's M. Again. Even little things will tick off a, a certain like fear or insecurity where, you know, you told this person about the success without telling me first, and it'll just tick off a little a little insecurity that'll ruin your whole damn day. <laughs> your whole damn day. Well, and 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 on that same wavelength, we talk about how multiple partners can fulfill something different for you. It is not uncommon to look at the thing that another partner is fulfilling for your partner and be jealous of that thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And have to sit and say, wait, but, but I fulfill this and that other partner doesn't like I, I, you know, I cannot be that for them, but I am this for them and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have that momentary, you know, Oh, I don't understand. Why are you always doing such and such with the other person? Cause you don't like such and such. I still have questions about some of the dynamics here. 
like with the relationship between C, M, and A, did they treat it more like they're one group of three or three individual couples? C explains this part. And, you know, M and I still have our relationship and A and I have our relationship and A and M have their relationship. And we have a relationship with the three of us because we're all three dating. But, like, it's really more about the individual relationships between the two. Okay, I know it's crass to ask, but I asked the question that we were all wondering about. The the relationship between the three of us, it's, I wouldn't say it's, I don't know. What was your question? She asked if it was a sexual entity with the three of us. Like, it um, can be. It can, it can be, be, but that's not the principle. Yeah. Uh, the, it, <laughs> the most so, fun we have is post-coital sitting and in a pile of bodies Laughing movie, and, like yeah, yeah. puppy pile, puppy yeah. pile, so good. It, a, a lot of people think that uh, polyamory is, is about threesomes and it's orgies. It's about threesomes and orgies, <laughs> and there's sex all the time, and everybody, you know, you sleep with whoever you want. Honestly, it, it's the, the the adding more than one partner during sex is pretty rare for us. Well, it's, and, it's mostly just you know we we have separate sexual lives, and I see I'm on the ace spectrum, so M and A if I may, have are together a lot more than I am with either of them. And that's another way for people to get their needs met exactly. through polyamory. One more side note about C. They mentioned they're on the ACE spectrum. ACE is short for asexuality, or experiencing little to no sexual attraction. Like they said, this is a spectrum, so it's not necessarily that C never wants to have sex. They're just less interested in it than other people really puts a damper on the idea that polyamory is all about threesomes and orgies. Anyway, we learned a lot about polyamory today, or at least I did. And while I know the first instinct for some people might be that this lifestyle is weird or just too out there, I really want to take a second to just focus on how happy all of these people sound during this interview. They consider themselves a family, and there's a whole lot of love in this group. And I think it's really great, especially these days for people to find love wherever they can, in whatever way works for them. I think one of the things that stuck out to me the most was when M said polyamorous relationships are like relationships on hard mode. Things are complicated. There are a lot of nights playing Dungeons and Dragons, or watching movies, or laughing, or appearing as guests on an old friend's podcast. But there's also just a lot to balance. So, how could things get more complicated? Well, last year... The group got a new member, a baby. Tune into the next episode to find out more. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Love in the Time of Everyone. New episodes are available on kxci.org. Special thanks to Local Kindergartner for the theme music. The Local Kindergartner EP, Spine, is available on Bandcamp. An enormous thank you to Kathy Rivers, Bridget Thumb, and Gabriella Yadagari for all of the podcasting pointers and guidance. And, of course, to J, D, A, M, and C for chatting with me and answering so many intensely personal and obnoxiously nosy questions. Let's close with a quote from Neil Strauss. And monogamy? It's like choosing to live in a single town and never traveling to experience the beauty, history, and enchantment of all the other unique, wonderful places in the world. Why does love have to limit us? Perhaps it doesn't. Only fear is restrictive. Love is expansive. <laughs>